With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today we are breaking down the top prospects in the Southeastern Conference. That's right, the SEC. It's going to be a fun episode, really good discussion with both Ben Fennel and Tony Pauline in our Draft Buzz segment, really just going through some of the top players in the, in the entire country. We know the SEC churns out NFL talent year after year after year, and this year is no different. A little bit of an abridged show this week, just Draft Buzz, but... A really fun discussion covering some of the top players in college football. Let's get things started in Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Well, back once again here for a big day on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We're talking with Tony Pauline, a draft analyst, draft insider. Tony, once again, thank you. Let's get right down to business. Top player in the SEC. Let's hear it. You know, when we did our uh, Big Ten, it was all Ohio, mostly Ohio State guys. When we did the ACC, it was mostly Clemson guys. We're doing the <laughs> SEC, and we're going to go back to Alabama. My number one guy on, on my board in the SEC, which is Alabama heavy, is linebacker Dylan Moses. Mm-hmm. I, I think this guy is NFL ready. I think he's a tremendous three-down defender in all aspects of the game. He's a tough run defender. He's good on the blitz. He's sensational in space. Gets depth on his pass drop, shows a, shows ball skills against opposing tight ends. I, I mean, third and five, you can leave him on the field to defend the run or defend the pass. Uh, there really isn't too much this kid can't do. My only question is, what are his true measurables? You know, is he going to be over six foot two? Is he going to be over 230 pounds? That really doesn't seem to matter all that much these days at the linebacker position. But when you watch Dylan, Mo- when you watch Alabama on film. You know, number 32 is omnipresent in all facets of the defense. He's my number one prospect in the SEC. You know, I had a chance to see Dylan Moses up close a couple of years ago after Les Miles got fired. Uh, just coincidentally, I did the Alabama game the next week, and it was loaded up with IMG kids. So I was just up close and personal with <laughs> Dylan Moses, who at the time was just listed as an athlete in recruiting circles. You didn't know if he was going to be a running back, an edge rusher, an off-ball linebacker, maybe an oversized safety like a Cam Chancellor. Mm. Ended up nestling as at the linebacker position, where I think suits him well, can come down into the box and obviously use his speed and athleticism. But the way he was was built he's just an absolute freight train of a player I did not know where this kid was going to play on the field I immediately had to look him up and was like oh this kid's going to be somebody so he never redshirted he went right he played right away I believe so yes all right so I'll talk about another guy who played right away same class coming in uh, the the 2017 class and that's Jerry Judy uh, the reigning Fred Blitnikoff winner as the top receiver in the country Uh, 6'1 just over 190 pounds freak show in terms of his body control his quickness his ability to set up defenders mid-route. He's great after the catch. Can line up inside, outside. I had tr- a lot of trouble finding a weakness for Jerry Judy. I really, really loved everything I saw from this kid. He can stretch the field vertically. He can work over the middle. He's tough. He's competitive. This kid, he's the he's the total package. He's just not the biggest guy. He's not Julio Jones from a size standpoint, but uh, I love Jerry Judy. Love him on film. You know, I'm glad you bring up Jerry Judy, so that gives me opportunity to bring some attention to his teammate, who yep. I feel like is completely overlooked. Jerry Judy's outstanding receiver, as you mentioned. He has obviously all the tape and Blitnikoff Trophy and the 1,300 yards in the SEC. Yep. But let's not forget about Henry Ruggs on the other side, who was the top wide receiver coming out of high school in the same class, and... Has a confirmed sub 4 340. Yep. 
has been voted one of the more competitive players on the team. Yep. Has played inside, has played outside. He has the speed, was a track star in high school, was a Metro track and field athlete of the year, ran the 100 meters. He's a punt gunner. Very, very competitive. He hustles all over the field. He's got good adjustments on passes. He's switchy. He's got balance in the open field, can really absorb tacklers and bounce off them. I had a chance to see him in person against Arkansas last mm. year and where Irv Smith had a lot of those big plays. Irv Smith actually had a 50-, 60-yard play, fumbled at the end, and it was Henry Ruggs down the field, hustling, trying to find blocks, conveniently fell on the fumble, ran in for the touchdown. That's a kid you want on your football team. So in the combination with his, his speed, his receiver ability, his competitiveness, his ability to play special teams, this is a very, very well-rounded receiver. So as good as Jerry Judy is, let's not forget about his teammate. And then they got a sophomore in uh, Jalen Waddell uh, yeah. coming back. And Devontae well. Smith, and Devontae who was another Smith, receiver yeah. in that class. So, again, yeah. in that similar conversation about the production share. Just because he's maybe not dominating the yardage on the team doesn't mean he's not a dominant receiver. All right, well, let's go to uh, the top offensive senior because uh, all these guys are underclassmen. Tony, top offensive senior in the SEC, who you got? Well, Fran, as you well know, I have a history, a great history of butchering names. <laughs> so here's my first one for the season, and the season hasn't even oh, begun. No. <laughs> but it, it's going to be Prince Tega Wanago uh, of Auburn, the offensive tackle, who uh, when I watched him, I know he had a lot of hype. I spoke with people, scouts who thought that he uh, stamped them as a mid-first-round choice with the grade this early in the season. And everything I saw on film basically lived up to the, met, met those expectations. Excellent size, six foot five, three hundred and ten pounds. But he's fundamentally sound. He's not a stiff six five, three hundred and ten pounds. He got he's a guy who bends his knees. He blocks with leverage. Uses his hands well. Shows ability out on the second level. Terrific in pass protection. He's got some dominant strength at the point of attack. Would like to see him develop a little bit more of a nasty streak. But I, I, I think when you look at a guy that's got size, that's got the ability to bend, that's got flexibility, that's decent on his feet. I, I think Wanahago uh, uh, really measures up to the expectations that scouts have put on him at this point in time, which is he's going to be a first-round pick in 2020. Yeah, the most uh, recent in the royalty that comes from the Auburn offensive line. Remember, that's where uh, King Dunlap went. So you got a king a few years ago, and now you got a, you got a prince this year. Uh, an intrig intriguing player, very smooth athlete. I, I like what I saw from uh, Prince Wanagu. All right, I'm going to go uh, another SEC team, obviously, Vanderbilt. They got a running back, Keyshawn Vaughn, a transfer from Illinois, went there last year and didn't start the season as a starter, but took over and was just a big play machine. This guy could take it the distance anytime he touches the football, whether it's the run game or the pass game, can erase good angles and space from defenders and just run away from the pack. Really, really impressive player. I want to see him really come back and, and have a full season and do it again. And so that might be a lot to ask, but uh, a really intriguing player. I like to see him get a little bit better in pass pro too. But uh, in terms of a game breaker, there aren't a lot of guys in the, in the country where I say, man, like that, that guy's more explosive than Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah, I did one of his games last year against Florida, and he actually oh. got injured. But before that, yes. I think he had a 75-yard run, right. another 70-yard screen, screen play, as yeah. well. I was just very excited for him. I didn't know a whole lot about him. But yep. they have a bunch of returning seniors that are intriguing. Also receiver Kalijah Lipscomb, yep. who I think was top five in yards, touchdowns, catches in the SEC last year. But the tight end, Jared Pinckney, is very interesting. He's 6'4", 260, has an unofficial 4'6", 4'7", type of four 
40. Mm. He looks like, I'm not saying he plays like, but he looks like that Antonio Gates type of body. He's a little bit doughy, a little bit thick, has that kind of bubble on his butt and his lower legs, but he runs very well, has very soft hands. Is just that QB's best friend on third mm. down to make those gritty, tough catches in traffic, going down low, can pluck it down low by his ankles. He's experienced in that pro-style scheme, great on those play-action elements, whether it's the over routes or the little slip routes, has enough wiggle and athleticism in the open field to make defenders miss after the catch. He's just somebody I think is what the NFL really wants out of their tight end position. He can hang with him in line. He's got the size and the toughness, but he also has the soft hands. I just think he's a very well-rounded tight end. What's looking like kind of a down tight end year in the SEC, I'm not really sure mm. who's going to be the dominant player. Yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting group of, of offensive skill talent there at, uh, at Vanderbilt this year. We'll see with Derek Mason. 50 catches last year as well, which yeah, when productive. you're talking tight ends in college, you no really question. don't see the players get over that 50-catch uh, threshold. No doubt. All right, well, let's uh, let's move now to underclassmen in the SEC on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, a litany of options, to, to say the least. A lot of players that we could pick from here, but who is the top offensive underclassman in your mind, Tony? Well, I got two that are neck and neck, obviously both from the Alabama, Tua Tagliavoa and Jerry Judy, who was mentioned before. I have Tagliavoa slightly ahead of Judy. I know there are some scouts that like Judy ahead of Tagliavoa because of his game-breaking skills. Uh, you know, I think both guys are going to enter the draft. I think uh, off of assuming there are no injuries, I think both guys are going to be early first round picks. I think Tagliavo is more of a system type of quarterback because of the lack of hype, but I think he's going to do very well at the next level. Judy doesn't have the great size, but again, you're, you're looking at a guy that's versatile. You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up in the flanks, get him off of press coverage, can also be a return specialist for you. Uh, I, I think both of these guys are game breaking players on the offensive side of the ball. And because of that, they're going to be top 15 selections in the 2020 draft. I think when you look at Tua, and we should, we could talk about him a little bit. I think when you look at him, certainly he's going to be he's, he's short, so that's going to be be knocked. But he's 230 pounds. He's built like Russell Wilson to me, and just the way that he throws the football, very smooth, very compact, very efficient with his release. He's athletic and can create in the backfield. His arm talent is there. He can drive the football. He's pretty accurate. I would say that I, not as accurate as people would say. His ball placement's good, not great. Um, but ultimately, when you look at him. We've talked about the supporting cast and the, and the receivers and the run game. The offensive line was good last year. Everything was pretty well defined for him. The scheme was really good. Mike Loxley and Josh Gaddis and the rest of that scheme. A lot of turnover now with the run game. A lot of turnover on the coaching staff. They've lost some offensive linemen. I want to see how he rebounds this year. And, and you know, can he finish or can he get back to where he was early last season? Because remember. Down the stretch, he was banged up, and he wasn't outstanding against some of the best defenses, right? So Clemson, LSU, Georgia, he wasn't as effective as he was early in the season. So I'm excited to see Tua now with the changes they've made from a a staff standpoint, from a personnel standpoint, how is he going to look this year uh, with a new-look offense? It's going to be very, very interesting to watch. Very talented passer that I'm excited to see with his second year as a starter. My guy, I'm going to pick DeAndre Swift, a Philly kid, St. Joe's Prep here in Philadelphia, uh, five. 215 pounds. This kid's a dynamic playmaker. Pass game, run game, doesn't matter. I like his vision. I like his competitiveness. I'd like to see him get a little bit better at pass protection as a blocker, but overall, this kid is really, really fun to watch. I think he's got the ability to be a primary ball carrier. Even though he's a little bit smaller, he's not just a change of pace guy. DeAndre Swift is really fun to watch. Well, I'm glad you steered us over to the dogs down in Georgia because I think one of the anomalies of college football and the transition in the NFL is why does 
the University of, Ge- University of Georgia not produce top-flight offensive linemen? Mm. They're pumping out running yeah, backs right. year after year from Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and Holyfield last year, and obviously DeAndre Swift uh, coming up now. But I think they finally have one, and that's Andrew Thomas, who's 6'5", 320, started every game at right tackle as a true freshman, every game at left tackle last season. And I just keep noting number 71 when I was studying these kids uh, last year, whether it was Nick Chubb or Sony Michelle or Holyfield this past draft, that's 71, 71, 71. Somebody is blocking for these running backs, <laughs> and I think we need to give some attention. I think they finally have a player that's long, strong, nasty, and has the power to really transition to the NFL game. I think Andrew Thomas is, is finally that player that could be in a first-round discussion. Mm. It's it's not common that we'll see blue-chip underclassmen go back to school, but I feel like when we're talking about the top defensive seniors in the SEC, there are a number of blue-chip players in this conference that are still seniors that went back for another year. Tony, who is the number one? Who is the top defensive senior in the SEC in your mind? Hands down on my board, it's Derek Brown, the defensive lineman from Auburn. I had him graded as a first-rounder coming off the 2017 film mm. when he, after a sophomore season. I thought he improved last year. I thought had he entered last year's draft, he would have been a top 15 pick. I know that some uh, he's one of the highest-rated players from some of the scouting services who grade him as a, uh, a mid-first-round choice. 6'4", 325 pounds. When you see a guy that big, you think of someone who's a gap occupier, someone who just takes on blocks. Not Derek Brown. He can rush the passer. He can stuff the run. He can change direction and get down the line of scrimmage to make plays in space. He's incredibly athletic. He's very explosive. Fundamentally sound, too. He just doesn't do it with uh, natural gifts, you know, just by overpowering lesser competition. He bends his knees. He plays with leverage. He uses his hands well. I I think right now, as we're moving towards the 2020 draft, if Derek Brown has the season that we all expect him to, I think he's going to be a top 10 pick next April. Well, it seems like the consensus is between Derek Brown and senior D tackle Raquan uh, yeah. Raquan Davis over at University of Alabama, yep. who's six seven three fifteen, and Freak show, we huh? know the Ashawn Robinsons and Jerron Reeds and Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne's all very good players, but this guy is built in just a different mold. He's very very long, every bit of six 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 seven, thirty five inch arms, eighty five inch wingspan, which is obviously inches above those other players. He's a three tech style player that'll project, you know, uh, to the NFL. He's got the length. He's got the power. Very heavy hands. But he doesn't fly into gaps or backfields. But that's just how the scheme is at Alabama. It's not a single gap, get up the field scheme. It's a lot of square stance, hold your gap, stack and shed your players, play the run on the way to the pass. Uh, kind of uh, defensive scheme there. So a lot of questions on what his acclimate will be in rushing the pass to the NFL. But just because he's not asked to do it at Alabama doesn't mean he can't do it. And I just think he's built in a much different mold than these other Alabama tackles. He reminds me a lot of DeForest Buckner yes, coming out yeah. of Oregon. Like, to a T. That's going to be the comp I think yeah. is going to be thrown around. That long torso, 6'6", six, 6'7", yep. six, six, frame. Yeah, and Buckner, or uh, Davis rather, he didn't have a lot of sack production last year. Quinnen kind of cleaned that up. But two years ago, I want to say he had eight sacks. Eight and a half in yeah. 2017. Yeah, yeah, he was a very productive player a couple years ago, um, but does need to come along as a pass rusher. I love Raquan Davis. I like Derek Brown a lot, too. But I'll tell you what, man. Trey, we talked a couple weeks ago when we did the Big Ten about Jeffrey Okuda and how he was better corn than anybody in this past draft. I would say the same thing about Alabama's corner, Trayvon Diggs, a senior, uh, the, the younger brother of Stephon, Stephon Diggs. Yeah. Yep, another Maryland kid. 
former receiver, got to got to Alabama as a receiver for obvious reasons, felt that it, you know, I might be able to make more money on the defensive side of the football. Uh, this kid's got size. He's got strength. He's athletic. He's got ball skills. Uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit better from an instinctive standpoint, you know, in their zone coverage schemes and the things that they do from that standpoint. But let me bring you, let me paint you this picture. He missed nine games last year, so he didn't play a full season. That might be why he went back. But when you watch him against Ole Miss, he pitched a shutout against DK Metcalf. Any plays that Metcalf made in that game, they were when uh, when this kid was uh, somewhere else on the field. He struggled not just to run away from Diggs, but also even out muscle. And we know what kind of uh, physical stature DK Metcalf was. Stevon Diggs was lamped, all latched onto this kid. I was really, really impressed with with uh, Trayvon Diggs. He's a guy that, to me, has a really high upside uh, and another year playing for Nick Saban, who we know can develop DBs as well as anybody. Uh, I, to me, I look at this kid as having a really, really high ceiling. All right, uh, let's talk about some defensive underclassmen. Tony, uh, who's the top defensive underclassman in the SEC? Because there are always uh, some gems down there from, from that standpoint on that side of the ball. In my opinion, it's Grant Delpit, and there's yep. no question about it. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. He reminds me of Jamal Adams with much better ball skills. Wow. He, ha- he shows the forcefulness against the run uh, and up the field that Jamal Adams shows, but he's also much better over the slot receiver. He's much better in center field. He's great, f- he's great when the ball is in the air. Uh, I mean, there really aren't too many flaws in this guy's game when I watched him, except sometimes he's a little bit late reacting. But those are few and far between. Outstanding size. He's going to measure in about six foot two, two hundred pounds, two hundred five pounds. I expect him to run in the four fours as a safety. Uh, really, I, I mean, we spoke a couple uh, last week about Isaiah Simmons. Uh, Grand Delpit just takes it to another level, as far as I'm concerned. I already have him graded as a top fifteen selection, or or my grade is reflective of a top fifteen selection. I, I love this guy's complete game. And I think he's got a tremendous amount of upside. So I, I talked to a few players at the Combine about Delpit. Uh, first of all, Ben, you named him as your down-the-road freak show last uh, October when you did their game. But I talked with Jay Sternberger, said he, Delpit was the best player he faced last year, no question about it. was really, really tough to match up with. But then I talked with a couple of his teammates. Uh, Greedy Williams talked about it. he was a guy that you could line up. It was almost like the Dirtwin James conversation, like line this guy up anywhere on the field, corner, DN, linebacker, safety, sl- you know, in the slot. He's going to win. He's going to figure out a way to make a play. And I talked with John Battle, who was actually a, a senior safety. He was at the Combine last. I don't think he was drafted, um, but John Battle was a veteran in that secondary and said, look, when Delpit first got there, he was still kind of figuring out, wasn't fully confident, and once he figured it out, this kid was just making plays last year. You see the range, his ability to make plays along the sideline, and again, just kind of reiterated what Greedy said in that he can line up in the post, he can line up in the box, in the slot, out wide, wherever you need him. Delpit was there to make plays, a guy that I'm really, really excited to dive into. I feel really confident about my comparison for Grant Delpit, and that's okay. Mika Fitzpatrick, yeah. who I think played yep. all over the field, inside, outside, safety, but they have similar body types. Yeah. A little more upright, skinny legs, a little bit skinnier waist, doesn't really have that thick barrel chest like most safeties do, like maybe like a Jamal Adams does, yep. a little squatter, a little stronger. But I think where he lacks in the strength, he makes up with his quick-footed and his coverage ability, ability to break on balls. Do you think we're going to have that same conversation about like, and this is both of you guys, do you think we're going to have that same conversation with Delpit if he if he is moved around so much for LSU this year about, all right, well, what position is he? How do you value this guy that we talked about with guys like Minka and Derwin and Jalen Ramsey had the same conversation? Those guys have all turned into good players, though. I don't know if we're going to still keep having that same conversation. 
Well, yeah, I think Del, I think Delpit's ball skills are much better than, than uh, Derwin James. Uh, okay. the, the, no doubt about it in my book. Uh, you know, it just helps Delpit. It's just going to increase his, his value. And I don't know that you're ever going to be able to line him up as a pure cornerback, but I absolutely think you can put him over the slot receiver as a safety, and, and he's not a liability. Yeah, I completely agree. I think those cover safeties is really becoming no a highly touted position in the NFL. And just to round out my opinion, this category, which Fran initially labeled as intriguing defensive underclassmen. That's so right. it may not yes. be my top, but an intriguing player is Alabama safety Xavier McKinney, yep. uh, who is kind of in that Ronnie Harrison mold and he can come down and be that dime linebacker, but also plays in the back end. He was the MVP of the Orange Bowl. Uh, so had some great games against Oklahoma, even in the Clemson game that they got blown out. He's shown he could cover the move tight ends like Grant Calcaterra. He's shown he could cover the slot receivers like a Hunter Renfro. So I think having that coverage ability, the fact he's been in that dime linebacker role, he's a good tackler, running the alley, can trigger very well, breaks down, he's a secure tackler, has the coverage skill. So very interesting player that's been on the field quite a bit, also wearing that number 15 like Ronnie Harrison did. So he's just a similar mold. I think Jacksonville's pretty happy with Ronnie Harrison down there. Yeah, I would say so. All right, Tony, let's get to a, a sleeper in the SEC. Those are those can be tough to find, but who's a guy that's flying under the radar a little bit in that conference? Well, it's a guy that you mentioned before, Trevon Diggs. And the only mm. reason I say he's a sleeper is because of what you mentioned. He missed yeah. nine games last season. Yep. And, I mean, a lot of people don't know about him. But what you said, when he was on the field, he was a dominant force, a cornerback. There's no, no doubt about it. He's got exceptional size. He's going to measure over six foot one. You know, he doesn't look very fast, but he's estimated to run in the low four fours, the high four threes. So he gets it motoring. What I love about Diggs when I watched him play was he is as adept facing, uh, making plays with his back to the ball and getting his head back around to locate the pass in the air as he is facing the action. And that's a difficult thing for, for a lot of college cornerbacks. You know, you see a lot of face guarding guys who ba- try and just physically beat down the opponents. They play the ball. They play the hands of the receiver rather than playing the ball. You know, not digs. Last year, when Savion Smith, the cornerback from Alabama, entered the draft, it was a surprise to people. But what people in Alabama who I'm close with told me, they said the reason Savion Smith entered the draft is if he had returned to Alabama, he wouldn't have been a starter. He Mm. may have been the number three or four cornerback uh, on the depth chart. So he had to enter the draft. Interesting. And they were and they and that was because Diggs was injured. Now, you know, if. Right now, I have him graded as a second-round pick because I have got, I want to see some durability. I want to see some, uh, you know, some some of the sure. details improved. But if he play, if he's healthy and he plays the way he's capable, Diggs is going to be a mid-first-round choice. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's a great player uh, there. And just like if you were to go down to Alabama and ask them if he's a sleeper, they'd probably say no. (laughs) Just like my player at LSU, you go down and you say, hey, is Patrick Queen a sleeper? Right. Probably not. But the country, I think he's a sleeper. This is the linebacker behind Devin White that's going to come in and take a lot of those uh, playmaking opportunities that Devin White, you know, took advantage of the past two and three years at LSU. But this kid's 6'2", every bit of 230, explosive, fast, can move sideline to sideline, has some coverage instincts, but he's a natural nasty thumper and when he gets there he gets there with some attitude i expect patrick queen to be in the kind of conversation of being one of the bigger playmakers in college football i'm gonna stay in the front seven i'm gonna go to tennessee uh and i'm gonna go with uh daryl taylor who's six three two just under 260 to me when you look at this kid he was very productive last year he had he had eight or ten sacks was the team mvp and as i'm doing work on him i'm watching him and then i'm reading the background and getting the getting the whole history on this kid 
I couldn't help but think about a year ago when we were talking about Josh Allen and coming out of Kentucky you know, that year, you're talking about him. He's like, hey, look, he was, a, he was a high school wide receiver, didn't play a ton of football, especially on the defensive side. And if it, was, it wasn't at defensive end, but really was productive, just needs to come along in the fine-tune of his game, held up against the run, but wasn't a fully polished pass rusher yet. That's kind of what I see here with Daryl Taylor. Now, we know what happened with Josh Allen. Josh Allen went on and had an outstanding senior season, was even more productive than he was as a junior, had a number of clutch moments, becomes a top 10 pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll see if Daryl Taylor can have that same kind of arc, but well, I think at the same point a year ago, you're talking about a guy who was a high school men's basketball player, played receiver and linebacker in high school, didn't even play all four years football in high school. I think when you're looking at him from a total big picture standpoint, that's the comparison you can make. I want to see him continue to polish and you know, really improve his overall pass rush plan. But an intriguing player that I think has got a skill set uh, that you can work with there off the edge from Tennessee. All right, Tony, what player has the most to prove from the SEC? Maybe he's coming off injury. Maybe he's coming off a little bit of an underwhelming season. A guy that you want to see really kind of take the next step here this fall. Well, it's someone coming off injury. That would be Terrell Lewis of uh, Alabama. who Stud. You know, off the 2017 film, looked like a terrific uh, 3-4 outside linebacker, pass rusher, very athletic. I graded him as a third-round pick. Suffered a a significant knee injury last July. Missed all of the 2018 season. From what I'm, uh, what I read, and what I was told, he was they limited him uh, in spring practice. So we have to see where he is with that knee injury. You know, at the top of his game, he's a guy that if he plays up to expectation is going to be a top 75 selection. But the fact is, is now he's got a red flag medically. You got to see how he rebounds, where he's at. If he's able to get back to where he was, uh, his level of play in 2017 and improve upon that. So for all those reasons, uh, my, my, the guy that I've got the most to prove is Terrell Lewis of Alabama. So I had two players written down here, and I might as well stick with the one also coming off injury, and that's Clavon Chasen. Uh, I think it's Clavon. K-apostrophe-L-A-V-O-N. Clavon Chasen from LSU, sure. who was touted to replace Arden yeah. Key off the edge and hunt all of his quarterbacks in the SEC. He played the Miami game, the opener last year, dominant performance, ended up hurting his leg uh, late in the fourth quarter, missed the rest of the season. Mm. So I think he's somebody coming off an injury that's really going to surprise people and has a lot to prove. But the other name I had written down was Jake Bentley at South Carolina. Left high school early, came out after his junior year. I feel like he's been down there forever, son of a coach, and just has never really developed his game and has been that consistent player that we expected him to be, being one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And he has all the tools. He has the arm strength. He has the size. He has the experience. He has the weapons on the outside, Brian Edwards and Shea Smith and all those guys. So I just want to see him put it all together and come up with a strong season down in South Carolina, which they're just dying for consistency on the offensive side. Yeah, I remember a few weeks ago we had Tony Rassiopion, who was at the Manning Passing Academy, said that uh, Bentley was the most improved player he saw from last year to this year. So hopefully he can make that same jump on the field. I know this he fall. came off the field a little bit last year. I'm not sure if he was dinged up or I if they was, benched was him to like, get settled. I know yeah. uh, Dante Scarnecchia's kid came in for a little bit. But, the uh, players there, like every South Carolina kid I talked to, like loved love this kid. Like they vouch for him to a T. So uh, I don't think it's a, a matter of the leadership standpoint. And I know he's been starting for a few years. We now. just expect more out of him. Those guys that have been there early on, we just want to see their game develop and refine and just polish all those kind of uh, loose ends. So I gotta admit something. Coming into this podcast, I was terrified of the the idea 
of Tony trying to pronounce this player's name that I'm getting ready to, <laughs> to bring up. Uh, and that's Albert Okwebunam, the talented yeah. redshirt junior tight end uh, from Missouri. 6'5", 260 pounds. No one's really talking about this kid. He was the foundation of that Missouri offense last year with Drew Locke. I mean, he was the number one receiver by all for all intents and purposes. The passing game funneled through this kid was really productive. Was a finalist for the for the Mackey Award as the top tight end in the country. He's athletic. He's got great ball skills. He can create his own separation, make plays after the catch. I think when you look at him, he's a willing blocker. He's just not great at the point of attack right now. I'd like to see him get a little bit better there. He was a little bit dinged up last year. They remember they had the other senior there, Kendall Blanton. So. There was a 12-personnel offense, and he was more the blocker, whereas Okoebunam was more of the, the receiver. Can he be more of a complete player? You know, can he kind of step up uh, and be that three-down player early on? We, we had, people have questions about that with tight ends in today's game. Can he be that guy? That's the big question he's going to have to prove. Regardless, I think this kid's going to be a much higher pick than people are talking about uh, right now. He might have been in the you know, conversation for a top, top top five tight end, maybe just after yeah. Irv Smith or there uh, in last year's draft so. if he came out. No, I, th- I think you're exactly right. On him. A couple of interesting things on him. You can actually go onto YouTube and find the pronunciation pronunciation of his name. I can't even pronounce it. Pronunciate. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I try to practice that. He's a smart kid, and he wants to be a doctor, yeah. which is one of the reasons why he did. He chose not to enter last year's draft because he's got some academic aspirations. We'll have to see, you know, how that mixes in with his football future. Uh, you know, I agree with you. I believe the he had a shoulder injury, if I'm not yes. mistaken, uh, towards the end of last year, which kind of hampered him. Yeah, and he's been a big time player really since. Uh, he stepped on the field uh, yep. for Missouri. It's just a matter of, is he going to go the football route or is he going to go the medical school route? We'll see what happens. All right, well, let's uh, let's wrap things up here with the SEC. The newcomer of the year. Who is the guy that is new to the conference that, you know, for one reason or another, whether it's transfer or a guy that's stepping in for a starter, that's new to the spotlight, that's really going to stand out? Tony, who you got? Uh, you know, last week at the ACC, I talked about a Virginia Tech kid who transferred to uh, Miami and Trevon Hill. This week, I'm going to talk about a Miami kid who transferred to Georgia. Receiver Lawrence Cager, fifth-year senior, six foot four, two hundred fifteen pounds. You know, basically, uh, the Georgia receiving core was cleaned out due to graduation. They were all drafted or signed as priority free agents. We saw a bunch of them at the Shrine Game at the Senior Bowl. So Jake Fromm's going to need some big targets to uh, throw the ball to, and Lawrence Cager is one of those guys. I mean, he's got an outstanding catching radius, really wasn't all that productive at Miami of Florida. Right now is being stamped as a better athlete than he is a football player. But when you get a receiver that size, six foot four, two hundred and fifteen pounds, not not the fastest guy in the world, you know, you gotta keep an eye on him. So he's a guy that is a wait is got a wait and see type of grade. I think he's gonna have his opportunities at Georgia because you know Georgia's gonna want to make another run at the SEC uh title. Uh, with with some of their uh, higher-rated juniors who are expected to enter the draft after the season, uh, I think Cage is in line for potentially a big season, which will only help his draft grade. Yeah, and they had the uh, the Cal transfer, Demetrius Robinson, a year ago, who made an impact for them. Uh, Georgia, a lot of talent returning uh, at the wide receivers, really on offense in general. Uh, I'm going to throw mine in here. I talked with Mississippi State safety Jonathan Abram, a future first-round pick, uh, ended up going in the first round to Oakland uh, this past spring. But talked with Jonathan Abram and said, all right, who's next? Who's the big guy that no one's talking about with the Bulldogs right now that we will be a year from now? He told me Fred Peters, and I kind of looked at him and I was like, who, who's Fred Peters? 
He's never played a down for Mississippi State. He's a junior college transfer that just arrived there this past year. And Abram said, this kid's a freak show. He had six picks a year ago for junior college. All of them went for touchdowns. He's going to be an impact player in the secondary for Mississippi State. So I'm going to take Jonathan Abram's word for it. I'm going to go with uh, Fred Peters here. You know, with all this movement at the quarterback position, it's so easy for somebody to just be a one-hit wonder, catch fire in a bottle, and suddenly be an NFL prospect. And I think Riley Neal, 6'6", quarterback from Ball State, who's now at Vanderbilt, has all the opportunity and all the parts around him to really have that one giant season and put himself into that conversation and maybe be an NFL quarterback. We had mentioned earlier with all those seniors around him, Keyshawn Vaughn at the running back position, Pinkney at tight end, Kalijah Lipscomb at receiver, very pro-style system. He's going to put his hands under center, just like Kyle Shermer did for those three and four years, son of Pat Shermer. He's going to turn his back to the defense. He's a little bit in that Paxton Lynch type of mold Mm. uh, from the University of Memphis, who kind of fizzled out with Denver, but I could really see him having one strong season. He's every bit of 6'6 with a strong arm with those seniors around him. That's kind of the recipe for a big year. That's uh, All the tools are there for success. No question. And you run through the SEC, obviously that perks up scouts just a little bit more, and if you could have success down there, you, I think we got something. Interesting. And Neil was a good quarterback at Ball State. I yeah. mean, I give him a draftable grade. There are some scouts that think he's a sixth, seventh round uh, selection. I believe he had injury issues last year and mm-hmm. didn't fill out, uh, didn't finish out the season. But if you watched him as sophomore and, and uh, junior season, I wrote back. I wrote about him entering the 2018 uh, season. You did. I gave him a draftable grade off of, off of his sophomore year. He has all the tools. You know, you're going to be limited playing at Ball State, and like I said, I believe I have to go back and look that uh, he struggled with injuries last year. Uh, but if he puts it all together, yeah, I, I mean, he's the type of guy that I, I think could make a significant move up draft boards. Uh, the type of guy, especially with the uh, depletion of uh, senior quarterbacks that we could see in the postseason, either the Shrine game or possibly yeah. senior ball, depending on how well he plays. And just the landscape of quarterbacks transferring and just having a new scenery, new coaching staff, the opportunity just to work with new players around you, and you catch fire in a bottle in that one year, suddenly you're a prospect and getting everybody's attention and interest. So I think he has kind of all the parts around him to be that player for uh, the 2020 draft. Yeah, big free agent addition for uh, for Vanderbilt. We'll see. Well, I think we've got a couple next week that we'll be talking about. Until then, Tony, appreciate the time here, as always, on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, just a really fun chat uh, with those two guys. Again, covering some of the top players from around the SEC. A lot of guys we didn't even cover uh, that we will be covering, obviously, in the weeks to come. And I can't tell you guys how excited I am for year two of this thing, where it's a year-round ordeal on the Journey to the Draft podcast. And next, this coming uh, season, in the next couple of weeks, because remember, college football, just a couple of weeks away, once things get started, Ben's going to be out on the road every week. We're going to be breaking down players with both him and with Tony. We'll have guests. It's going to be a lot of fun exactly what we did last year from a certain angle but we're going to throw in some uh, some additions in there as well so really excited to get things going and again the number one way to support this show is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher wherever you listen and give us that rating give us that comment because that way it gets boosted up the rankings the show is more visible to other people that are looking for the same kind of content so if you want to give us a, a little bit of a shout out on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher you'd go takes two seconds go leave us that rating helps boost us up the list a little bit gets our gets our listener count up and now uh, everybody's happy so really appreciate any support that you can give us and again one thing you can do if you really like this episode and you missed some of the last few weeks 
You can go back, check last week. We had the ACC preview uh, with Ben and Tony. Also, we talked with NFL Network analyst Daniel Jeremiah. The week before, we did the Big Ten. Ross Tucker was with us, and we broke down some of the top prospects for, uh, for Penn State, if you're a local fan. So really a lot of players we've discussed as we approach the 2019 season. Really appreciate the time from all of our guests over the last couple of weeks. But I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll see you next week here for another edition of the show.